Whenever you're listening to this, wherever you're listening to this, it's the Metalist Podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Dr. Rock. So, ah, well, I am the one orgasmatron. That works too. You could go a lot of different routes with this. There are a lot of things. Yeah. Today we're going to talk about a band that's very near and dear to a lot of people's hearts. They were Motorhead. They played rock and roll. Let's get into Ultimate. it. Ultimate. Ultimate. First of all, I am going to give full disclosure. You're going to hear kids playing. I'm not actually recording at a playground, but it might sound that way. So Hire Jason for all your kids' birthday parties. <laughs> uh, I mean, even if I shut the window, which I got to take the fucking fan out, nah, nah, nah. you know, fuck it, dude. Window stays open. Kids are fucking playing. So, Motorhead. What was your first exposure, good sir? <laughs> I was I was about to ask you the same thing. Quick draw. My first exposure, let me actually, I'm going to look something up real mm-hmm. quick. Okay, so my first exposure was, I mean, it's probably well known in the UK. It's probably less known here in the United States. I don't remember what channel it was on. But I saw Motorhead do Ace of Spades on the young one. Ah, okay, so this comes up a lot from people from Commonwealth countries, especially, even Australia. So I'm curious because I've never, or no, I have seen this on YouTube years later because I heard it so much. But so I didn't know, okay, that's an interesting entry point. I don't know if it's BBC or, I mean, I'm sure it's BBC, right? I mean, that's everything over there? Uh, I mean, especially like 84? Oh, especially then. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right. I mean, I'm assuming everything would be BBC. It wasn't like here where it's like, oh, we got got four fucking channels. No, I I mean, I I remember a friend of mine really loved the show. And I don't know if I saw it in 84. It was probably closer to, it was probably closer to like 86, 87 when I saw it. It may have, you know, I'm, just, I'm thinking about right now, it may have been on MTV here. Um, obviously, our cable didn't get BBC channels at the time. So I'm pretty sure we saw it on MTV. And he, he would just record it, and, he, and then he would come over and watch it. And I mean, I, I don't know, if anybody's got the young ones, real quick rundown, four fucking totally different archetypes of gentlemen, college students live in a fucking rundown place. You have their, like, funny, dope leader, you know, with his fucking mirror shades. I think his name's Mike. You have the punker who has a fucking legit... What's the mohawk with the three? Uh, got, so it's like two on the side and one in the middle. It's red hair. Yeah. And he's got, he's got fucking stars, like, metal stars, like, imprinted in his fucking forehead. And then he's got, like, a full-on, like, septum piercing. He went by the name Vivian. Yeah, what's that called? It's like, but, I mean, it looks like a fucking three-pronged I'm crown. guessing there's an official-ish name for it as much as there can be. I just don't know. I think I've heard Trihawk before. A tri Hey, there you oh, go. Oh, you know Tri-hawk what? Because I had a friend, oh. my buddy Paul, back in the day when we first started hanging out, 
was a punker dude, like a, you know, proper old school British punker dude. And he had a, what he called a quad hawk, which so, so I guess <laughs> tri hawk would make sense, even though you're dealing with different kinds of symmetry. Right, right. But yeah, I, I can see that. But yeah, he's got that thing. There's another guy who's more like a fucking left wing kind of, he looked more like a student. Um, he's actually been in quite a few things. His name's Rick Mayall is the, is the um, actor. But he went by Rick, and then there was another guy, uh, Neil. Uh, he's total hippie. Uh, it was the first time I ever heard the term boom shanka. Have you ever heard that? Uh, I mean, if I saw that thing you're talking about, however long ago <laughs> I have to, I just can't remember. If you've it. also looked, if you've also looked in a Metallica album cover inlay card, I believe it was for Master Puppets. You might see something boom shanker. Mm. It's a, there's an R on it, the, you know, but British accent boom shanker. But um, it basically see, means uh, may the seed of your loins be fruitful in the belly of your woman. And they just get in shenanigans, whatever. But they always had a musical guest. And the first one I ever saw, the musical guest was Motorhead. And it's just like cutting in between scenes of them like walking to town. And it's fucking Motorhead like playing Ace of Spades in their fucking living room. And I mean, I wasn't blown away. Because I mean, I think by the time I heard, by the time I saw this, I'd heard Metallica. But I mean, I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, definitely a lot better than some of the fucking musical artists on there. Because it wasn't just like just metal stuff. What kind of stuff? Or even rock stuff. I mean, some of it was like synth shit. I mean, think stuff like our house in the middle of the street, our house. Like, mm. they had stuff like that. Like, I mean, you know, and a lot of times we just skipped him. Or a lot of times he would just record, like, he would hit pause and then, you know, hit record again. He would just kind of, like, skip the fucking musical so he could fit more episodes on a, on a tape or whatever. Ah, okay. Back when that was a thing. I love that show. Um, and that was... Well, you know, and they know I, they never said Motorhead. It's not like they introduce them. You know what I mean? It kind of just works into the episode. So I didn't actually know it was Motorhead. I the first time I think I remember hearing Motorhead was on MTV Headbangers Ball, like a lot of things from then. And I saw the video for Eat the Rich. Mm, okay, the one from Airheads, or is there a different one? I I don't know because there's so much stuff out there. I didn't realize it was on Airheads. Was it the one I with Winfield Crane and Ice T? No, that's Born to Race Hell. Oh yeah. Um, and okay. that one, that one is a. Uh, they do have a version out there, uh, definitely on Spotify, that has. Um, it's just Lemmy mm-hmm. doing Born to Race Hell, but yeah, the the one for Airhead soundtrack was Winfield Crane from Ugly Kid Joe and Ice T. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean that was the first one I remember. And uh, spoiler, that will come up later. <laughs> there you go. What about you? So I'm actually coming to a bit of a realization, and this this will happen from time to time, actually. I remember, um, I remember, you know, I talk about, re- you know, reading the magazines when I was a kid. There was a constant rotation of three primarily, occasionally others. Metal Edge, Circus, and especially Hit Parader. So therein lies the problem I don't remember which it would have been. I want to say maybe Metal Edge, but in the back section, there was this article about this band called Motorhead, and this was the late 90s at the time. Lemmy was rocking a very particular style unique to that time where he was clean shaven and maybe had his hair pulled back and he just, and he was making a weird face. And I'm like, oh, this guy's fucking freaky, dude. So I stayed away from Motorhead as long as possible because Lemmy freaked me out. Then he shows up in the Metallica behind the music because they talk about how massively influential oh, and important sure. they are to him. 
And then finally, so I guess it'd be, I think it's 98. I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's 98. Yeah, because 99 was S&M and 97 was Reload. So I guess it'd have to be 98. They put out Garage Inc. And it's the last four songs on the second disc of Garage Inc. Was them playing Motorhead songs at Lemmy's birthday party. I think it was maybe, maybe his 50th birthday party. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and finally, the the first in that block of four is is Overkill, and I'm like, oh, this is what Motorhead sounds like? Granted, it's Metallica covering. I was like, oh, this is fucking cool. I guess I ought to check out Motorhead. And back in that time, a lot of their shit was really hard to get. Like, it was just not in print or readily available at the time compared to what, you know, would come soon thereafter. So they start re-releasing some of the more classic albums, and I tracked down this, you know, special edition of overkill with bonus tracks and it's remastered and blah 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 and i'm fucking pissed because it disappeared very shortly after that but um yeah man i i became a fan pretty quickly after that but i'm actually realizing that's not the first time it would have been it's just the first i remember the first would have been watching airheads as a kid i just don't i just don't remember him in that movie or talking about it or any of that but it happened clearly so i just you know and there'll be another Story similar to that with another prominent British band one day further down the road. But, yeah, man, that, so th- that was it for right there. And it stayed pretty steady with Motorhead fanship as much as one can. Well, I shouldn't say that. I, some people are Motorhead super fans with the tattoos and they got all the shirts and they got the not even leather jacket sometimes, the, the denim jacket with the patches. Okay, so that's where I would like to start. This band has three... 3,846,510 monthly listeners. Wild. 3 million. They are so much bigger now than they ever were when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, and they may have been around, I'm sure they were, obviously. They were selling albums. But nowhere on the level. Now, I was young in the 70s, so I would have missed a lot of you know, whatever from the 70s. And I was still young in the, I mean, fuck, I was, I was, by the time I hit 10, I wasn't 10 until 84. So there's probably a lot I missed. But at the same time, I mean, you still see things around. And I grew up in a small area too. I mean, that might have something to do with it. But I read a ton of magazines. I met a lot of fucking people at like a lot of different kinds of metal. Motorhead was not a popular band back in the day. They just weren't. And it shows in their fucking history, dude. It absolutely shows Numbers don't lie. They were not a fucking popular band. They got dropped by several fucking labels. Some of that's because they weren't fucking selling probably as much as they, the label wanted them to. Some of it was probably a bit of their antics as well. They probably weren't the easiest people to deal with because the alcohol and drugs and whatnot. But numbers don't lie. And I mean, they did not do all that great numbers-wise compared to their peers, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest. I remember people talking about it. They were too punk to be loved by metalheads, and they were too metal to be punked to be loved by punkers. Can we make a hashtag out of too metal to be punked? I'm sorry. <laughs> they were like this weird bastard stepkid. And then top that all off, I mean, they were coming up in an era or not coming well, I mean, yeah, I mean they were really hitting their stride in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of People tend to think they're older than they are, and they're actually not. But 
they really were coming around in the 80s, and that was right about the time that it was a bit harder for a band that had someone who looked like Lemmy and sounded like Lemmy to get any kind of, like, real fucking steam going. And, I mean, they did good tours and stuff, but... And I think that's where it comes in. For You know, the, the whole reason I think they're so much more popular now... I mean, fucking, like, four dudes from this band have died. Mm-hmm. Which is insane, considering for the majority of their career, they've been a trio. Right. Okay? But... And they're not overly old, either. You know, they're not... I mean, they're not even... I don't even think they're Sabbath old. I don't think any of them are. But... I think the, Lemmy the, would have been older than all the Sabbath dudes are right now. Oh, really? Yeah, he, I think if he was still alive, uh, well, he would yeah, have been... Oh, well, yeah, true, because he... Like, what was his fucking band before? Hawk? Hawkwind. Hawk so that's Wind? the interesting Hawk thing, Wind, yeah. is that he started... He was played bass four years in Hawkwind. He had some stuff prior to that. But by the time he was kicked out of Motorhead... Or, excuse me, Hawkwind and started Motorhead, he was already 30. When he passed away, he j- oh, that's true, just that's turned true. 70. It's like... Dio, man, like how old would Dio be right now if he still was late be in his eighties? Some dudes True. were up there way before, you know. But um Yeah, people got at it. People got at it and noticed. Yeah. Um, a lot later back then. Did you ever check out Hawkwind? Oh, I've I've listened to Hawkwind a ton. Okay. Complete honesty, I much prefer Hawkwind to Mortarhead. I feel like I've heard that about some folks. And like credit to fucking Hawkwind. Hawkwind started way before Motorhead was a band and they've been around they're still playing shows ever since. Like wow. Right. I think the main reasons why I think this band has gotten so popular, I mean obviously the deaths. Um anytime a long running band uh has, you know, a death in the band, generally it spikes sales, it spikes plays. And a lot of times it's just, you know, over time, I mean, we, we like new sounds, we like other stuff, and we do need some kind of, like, trigger to get us back in that nostalgia of stuff that we grew up on. Uh, sometimes it's a movie, sometimes it's a, a TV show, soundtrack, or whatever. Sometimes it's someone fucking dying, and then all the social media posts go around, it's like, ah, fuck, like, uh, right now, this is gonna be way late, so don't fucking give me shit about it, but, I mean, by the time these guys hear, you guys hear it, but R.I.P.D. Uh, Mark Lanigan from Screaming Trees mm-hmm. uh, just passed away today. So you will see that happen. The other thing, one of the other things I think is they've been around for a fucking long time. And they've put out tons of albums. The difference between these guys and something like Rush is they're not fucking prog. I think that for Rush is what keeps them from, you know, you you don't see the the same people that love Tom Sawyer don't all love the rest of their catalog. Yeah. It's because most of those guys like that as a classic rock song. A lot of those classic rock songs, the reason they're such big songs is because they're not the proggy ones. So there's there's that sort of thing. Also, like I mean, like we said at the start, rock and roll. I mean, these guys are the ultimate, ultimate rock and roll because to me, I think they embrace more what rock and roll kind of used to be, and that's not sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but there's a little bit of that as well. Oh, yeah. There's a lot there's of that lot in here as well. But I think the one of the bigger things is, like, it's really fucking simple. They And they don't change much, man. I mean, they pretty much do the same fucking thing over and over and over again. Yeah. A la ACDC, which is another band that has put out tons of albums. It's been around for a long time, and you still see people that are ACDC fans that really love new ACDC. Mm-hmm. You see it a lot with Motorhead. These, you know, people like the new albums. 
But that aside, I mean, tw- what, 22 albums, I think? And then the amount of fucking extra shit is just ridiculous. Box sets, compilations, live albums, singles, fucking, you name it, collaborations. It's, it's nuts. It's it's a lot. It turns into a huge discography. Now, a lot of the reason why that has turned into such a huge discography, too, is the fact that they've been on, like, several different labels as well. And from when they started. So you notice this a lot with, like, older labels, you know, a lot of them go under. And then it's like, well, who owns this shit? Yeah. You know, and somebody comes along and buys it, and then they're going to put it out. Well, we're going to put it out, we're going to remaster it. We're going we're gonna to put it out, but we need to put some extra on it so that people will buy it again. And, and so you end up with these these huge discographies. It really surprised me. I know that they got a... I, I'm absolutely positive they got a bump from Airheads back in the day. Um, cause that was the first time I really heard people starting to really talk about Lemmy, but like in that movie, when they do the joke, you know, you know, Lemmy, a trick question, Lemmy is God. I mean, I, I fucking started laughing at like, at, like laughing at the screen, you know? Cause I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like Lemmy is God. S- like since when, who the fuck listens to Motorhead? So I think in this case, it wasn't so much, you know, it was a very, 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 very steady upwards hill thing for him. But like. I can only assume, like, because they already had a legendary status to them as much as they could, you know, when I got into them in the late 90s. So that, you know, five years before would have been the time of Airheads. So I'm sure they had their little cult following. It's just in that time, you know, since their inception, really, it's just grown and grown and grown. I, I don't think there was, like, one big breakout moment. I think it was a series of little ones that kept, you know, getting their status bigger. Even before they died, you know, they were... In movies, they were they were a household name. They were in commercials. They were in sporting events. You know, their music was played in sporting events. They had the Lemmy documentary. Well, Lemmy became Lemmy. Yeah. That was the thing. But, I mean, to me, as far as I could tell, that was the big kind of like, oh, shit. Because not only did the joke appear in fucking, you know, they don't say Motorhead is God. They said Lemmy is God. Right. At a certain point, Lemmy just became Motorhead, too. Right, right? and then you know? he is in the movie. Yeah. I'm the editor of the school newspaper. <laughs> or whatever. It's something like that, yeah. If you've ever seen him one time, you'll never forget him. He has mm-hmm. a specific look to him that exudes rock and roll. You also, you know, around that same time, a little bit earlier, but around that same time, he was doing a lot of writing for a lot of other people, notably Ozzy Osbourne. Mm-hmm. He's always been around it's just when that hit at that time, because that was that was the era of no hair metal. You know, we're not doing, no one wants hair metal. No one wants guitar solos. No one wants this or that. It's, it's, it's really like straight right between the fucking grunge era and the fucking new metal era. And for the most part, they're dressed more like grunge guys in the movie the lone rangers the lone rangers yeah it's that uh, weird you know. <laughs> things were still getting figured out but it's also the time when again who's in the movie white zombies prominent supposedly steve buscemi's character rex was based on rex from pantera i swear to god they were dead ringers for each other around that time it's that weird in between when things are still getting figured out you know it's the you know the time of the groove for sure it's a logical progression from the grunge era to what's going to become new metal. It's this weird, like, oh, it yeah, was, they all look like they could be in Alice in Chains. Yeah. It's this weird time, but it's a really cool time in retrospect. I'm sure it seemed kind of what the hell is going on at the time, but you know, in hindsight, right. it seemed pretty. And awesome. then all of a sudden you have this fucking dude from the old days, which would be akin to having Ozzy in the movie. 
that's what it would have been like. I mean, I mean, okay. Ozzy would have been way bigger in that movie. Right. Perfectly honest with you, Metallica was about this time. They're pretty much one of the biggest fucking bands. They're starting to get there. I think you could have put James Hetfield in that fucking, in that role, role, in that cameo. And I don't think anybody knows who the fuck he is. You put yeah. Lemmy in that cameo. Everybody knows who the fuck he is. You have the fucking joke, and all of a sudden, these guys became bigger. Another huge, huge, huge fucking thing, and it's so underrated. I've never heard anybody talk about this. Granted, I have not listened to any podcasts about Motorhead or watched many videos or anything like that, but I have never seen it on any social media. I've never talked to another human being about this, but man... Well, when they were approached by Paul Avec, Triple H of the WWF, WWE now, and they did his fucking entrance theme, that changed everything for this band. Everything, dude. That is so fucking huge. WWF, they're in the middle of the Attitude Era, dude. They're winning the ratings war, dude, and he's coming out to a Motorhead song. Then, a few years into it, man, they actually play WrestleMania. They play WrestleMania as he's walking out to the fucking ring. Now they're in the reality era. And everybody's, you know, the, the curtain's been pulled. And everybody's talking to everybody. And he openly talks about, on his DVDs, on his interviews, as Paul Levesque, as Triple H, as the wrestler, as the owner fucking, not the owner, but the owner's fucking son-in-law slash runner of the business. He talks about it openly. He's a huge fucking Motorhead fan. Like, he, he's just like, fuck... Because, I mean, people have asked, like, why don't you fucking come out to a different song? You know, like, how, how come you haven't changed your entrance music? He's like, are you shitting me? It's fucking Motorhead. And they wrote the song for me. It's called The Game, which is Triple H's other nickname. Oh, I have heard that. Okay. Time like, to play the game! Song? Like, I mean, dude, it's so fucking huge because that's a shitload of people seeing that. Every time he wrestles. And back then in the Attitude Era... Those fucking dudes did like 300 nights a year. Literally every arena they go into, someone, you're probably wrestling at least 250. They wrestled all the time. And he's walking out to that song every single time, every town. Like, that's massive, dude. And I've never heard anybody fucking talk about it. You know what I mean? And then just the fact that they've been here long enough. And it's so far from their... You do have a lot of fucking kids right now in, in, in all genres. Because it's so easy on Spotify or Apple Music or Tidal or whatever it is you're using, YouTube, to go back and listen to old stuff. You have a huge retro scene with the younger crowd in all types of genres of music. Why do you think Greta Van Fleet is a thing? Why do you think Synthwave is, is such a huge fucking thing right now? You know, Neo Soul, all these different things. I mean, yeah, dude, so some kids going back, fucking Motorhead. One thing that always got me was the little symbol they have, the little fucking bull with the fucking horns thing. Snaggletooth. Yeah. That with their fucking logo, it's one of those fucking deals where it's like how it's advertised versus how it sounds. It always looked so much fucking heavier to me than what they actually are. For all intents and purposes, they're just like a really fast ACDC. A lot of their songs are very... Or like the heaviest Chuck Berry thing you've ever fucking heard, I guess. I mean, I, but I remember a friend of mine bought a Motorhead tape. I've been trying to find the fucking thing. The closest thing I could find is this Live in Brixton in 87. 
It's the same playlist. It's the same set list. I don't think it's the same exact live recording. But that's the closest one. It's on Spotify, live in Brixton 87. The album cover was just Snaggletooth and the Motorhead logo. Just black and white. And if you notice, they've got like several albums that have that. Where it's just the black and white (laughs) and just the Snaggletooth with the logo. And then something underneath it. You know, like the world is yours in 2010. Motorhead on the top, the world is yours on the bottom, in the middle, Snaggletooth. Although they kind of changed it up a little bit with the Snaggletooth. But the thing is, like, he had this he had this tape. He fucking hated it. In fact, I, I want to say his little brother bought it and gave it to him because he hated it. And then he listened to it and he fucking hated it. And, and it was all Lemmy's vocals. Hmm. He didn't like it. I listened to it and... There was a lot of it that I liked. You know, I was like, I mean, this is pretty cool. It wasn't anything I was like, holy fuck, like, this is awesome. But it was just like, all right, I mean, this is pretty cool. Like, I don't know why he doesn't like it. And this, this wasn't 1987. I mean, this is probably like 88, probably is when we heard this thing. But mm. it, was, it was Lemmy's vocals. Everybody I knew is Lemmy's vocals. And until I moved to San Diego, I mean, I'd never met anybody who liked Lemmy's vocals. Everybody fucking hated him. Hmm. Interesting. Everybody I knew. But like a lot of the um if if a lot of the hair metal people didn't like Motorhead. Motorhead was ugly. They sounded dirty. They they were raw. They fucking didn't have a polished fucking produced sound. Even though they weren't playing that much different of stuff when you really break it down. It really wasn't that different. It was like the packaging it came in kind of started right. and start because contrast. Because it's, it's just fucking rock and roll. It's the same shit Bon Jovi was doing. You know, except Bon Jovi had a different production level. You know, and I mean, I'm sure that Motorhead got the production level they wanted because that was kind of their thing. You know, we don't want to be fucking glam shit. You know, like we're kind of against that. That was why, I, I mean, to me, like a huge thing for these guys also was thrash became a thing. You know, and, and now all of a sudden you got all these thrash bands that are fucking saying, like, oh, you fucking Motorhead, dude, Motorhead, Motorhead. It was still not a big deal, but by the time you get years, years later, man, it's still in everybody's head. You know, fucking Motorhead. You know, as these different things happen, just bigger and bigger and bigger. And and Lemmy becomes bigger than fucking life. I mean, he becomes a rock fucking legend, a rock icon. And it wasn't overnight. I still think a lot of the reason why is because he was fucking around for so long. That definitely helped. And he didn't change much. You know, he didn't he didn't disappear out of the scene. He didn't change a whole fucking bunch. You know, he always had the fucking cool little fucking pool quotes. You know, I'll sleep when I'm dead, that sort of thing. You know, like I'm a fucking party, you know, whatever. He was a, That was another thing. I mean, he's a big party guy. Mm-hmm. That Legalize will, all drugs. Yeah, I mean, that will always be popular amongst rock and metal. He epitomized it a lot more than most people. Yes, He's, yes. Because he yeah. even looked the look. You know what I mean? Like, he looked like a fucking dirty fucking rock star. Mm-hmm. And it's unforgettable. And to Leather me... and denim. Yeah, to me, it was like, I mean, hair. listening to their stuff and, and I'm mean, hearing the fucking vocals and stuff. I mean, it was... I mean, I was a fucking glam guy. But, like, I also couldn't get over... Like, his his just uniqueness of the way he sounded, especially at the time, it was just, uh, like I said, I mean, it was unforgettable. You just, you couldn't forget the way the dude sounded. 
You know what I mean? And I mean, for the most part, dude, you listen to some of the softer songs. I mean, a lot of them are later on, but he can sing just fine. You know, he doesn't. Right. Yeah. He doesn't have to sound like that. I mean, he can he can sing just fine. It also makes me wonder: is like, man, is do I gotta blame uh, fucking Motorhead for my love of fucking uh, Crowbar? <laughs> you know, uh, another guy okay. who a lot of people don't like his vocals, but I mean, he's a really, really subtle, good singer. You don't notice it because it's so raspy. But dude, try to sing it. It's not the easiest thing to fucking sing. I mean, if it is, you probably have a higher register than most people. Mm-hmm. You know, but do it with the rasp. You know, like, but just sing it without the rasp. I mean, he's on key all the time. I mean, Lemmy's in key. It's just rougher. Mm-hmm. I think some of their stuff was like, you know, some guy on Twitter today or a couple days ago said he had uh, Too Hard for the Radio by Mac Dre stuck in his head. So I put the lyrics up, you know, it was like, but that song Too Hard for the Fucking Radio. I mean, I think Motorhead was kind of like that. Back in the day, they were too hard for the fucking radio. They snuck some shit in there, but it just never really took off. You know what I mean? Like, it just never really fucking took off for them when they were in their prime. Now, I say that for the radio. Because for fucking tours, that's a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. I think they are a band that a lot of people loved going and seeing live, but didn't want to hear them on the radio. You know, I mean, it's it's just a different animal. You're feeding off that energy. You can listen to a number of fucking live albums. I, I wish Spotify, you know how they t- they have the discography and then they have the separate singles section, the separate compilations? Yeah. They need to have a separate live album section, um, especially for yeah. bands like Motorhead, Iron Maiden, Rush. Well, since I've been getting into Apple Music, things are a little more compartmentalized on there. I just apparently haven't encountered anything yet that has a live album yet to where that would be sectioned somewhere off too. Otherwise I would have been like, Oh, how about that? I just don't know yet, but hell I could look it up right now. It's one thing if, if there's a, uh, you know, a couple, but I mean, dude, like these guys got fucking like a shitload of them. Yeah. It's like, damn, they got an own discography just of live albums worth of stuff. Oh yeah, man. I mean, one thing tripped me out too. You, um, I hate to fucking say it, but I think there's another guy that I can compare this guy to vocals. In the sense that, you know, there's a lot of people that don't like the vocals. Because, and, I mean, I'm pretty sure someone could probably figure out who I'm talking about, but. Could be a lot of people. Chris too. Barnes is a fucking huge deal. Oh, yeah, yeah. He has been for a long time. There's a lot of people don't like his vocals either, and he just keeps fucking going. Now, I'm not talking about anything fucking personal at all. I don't know anything about Lemmy personally, so I can't speak on how cool he fucking was. And I mean, honestly, neither can some of you who only met him one time backstage after a a fucking show. You don't know him either. But I just thought about that because they do have this cover album that I actually enjoy. But I've seen a lot of people hate these cover albums because they, you know, it's it's Lemmy singing. Up six feet under? Well, dude... Motorhead 2. Oh, I guess I missed that. I was going to say Six Feet Under's cover albums are the only things I ever liked. Same. Well, for the most part. but I know everybody talks about that first album, too. But, I mean, Undercover, they do Breaking the Law by Judas Priest, God Save the Queen what? by Sex Pistols, Heroes by David Bowie, Band Called Starstruck, don't know who that's from. They do Cat Scratch Fever, 
from Ted Nugent. They do Jumping Jack Flash from the Rolling Stones. Sympathy for the Devil from the Rolling Stones. Hellraiser, which is a cover of his own song that he helped write, but Ozzy put the song out first. Uh, Rockaway Beach, which I believe is the Ramones. Yeah. Shoot him down. And then the one that they won a fucking Grammy for? They covered Whiplash by Metallica, which is almost like Metallica fucking ripping off uh, Ace of Spades, essentially. Wait, so they did, they've covered two Metallica songs then? What other one? Fucking Enter Sandman. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. I had no idea. Okay, so I'm looking this up right now. I had no, damn, dude. That's the thing about this band, is there's so much shit to get through. Oh, yeah, dude. And unless you're a Motorhead super fan, there was... No, I guess I have to look, you know, out of pure curiosity for some of this stuff, right? They won a fucking Grammy for not only a cover, but a cover of a fucking song that is damn near ripping off their own song. Yeah. It's it's just like the snake eating itself, dude. You know what I mean? It was the Ouroboros or whatever the fuck that thing yeah, is? Yeah, that, that's exactly it, yeah. Oh, it cracks me up, dude. But, like, the fucking, you know, the legends... That come across with this band. I mean, it's just huge. And I think this is what, like, Alexi Leho wanted to get back to. This is what those Avenged Sevenfold dudes wanted to get back to. This is what, to some degree, I really, really, truly believe, believe this in my heart of hearts. I think he's not doing a very good job. But I think this is what MGK wants to get to. I was just going to say, yeah. <laughs> you know, like... There, there's a difference, though. All those dudes, for the most part, grew up on this. He was the, the fucking standard and the forebearer. He was the, you know... He was that guy. Right, he now, to be fair, to be we don't know what Machine himself. Gun Kelly grew up on. Yeah. It's not that weird for me to think that that kid probably listened to fucking Motorhead. Although, he probably didn't listen to Motorhead. Not because he's fucking a white boy from Cleveland. Not because he's into fucking rap. Solely because of his age. Mm-hmm. Probably most people his age didn't fucking grow up listening to fucking Motorhead, dude. They just weren't that big of a deal. It's It really just came out of nowhere, dude. All of a sudden, you just see Motorhead fucking gear everywhere it fucking shows. You see people talking about him all the fucking time. It's like, whoa, where did all this come from? Now, granted, social media helps that also. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I wonder if that means that the cult really started growing when I started coming more into things, you know, because like, as far, yeah, again, when I'm entering and be like really making this a thing in my life, they're there and it just gets bigger. You know what I mean? So we're, we might be talking about two different perspectives starting at a certain point. I mean, like I said, it's not that nobody listened to him back in the day. They were selling albums and clearly inspiring musicians. I mean, there's no doubt about their impact on fucking heavy metal, specifically thrash. Like, no doubt at all. But, cult following. Because Thrash wasn't like, you know, people forget Metallica's the big band now. But back, I mean, even for Master Puppets and and Justice For All, they were absolutely not the biggest band. They weren't even close to the biggest band around. Most people still didn't know who the fuck they were. And we're talking 89. No one knew who the fuck they were. You know what I mean? Like, so that's the same kind of thing. They were an underground band. Like, Motorhead was an underground band. You know, and I mean, I used to make jokes about it all the time. Like, they're a one-hit wonder. They've been doing this shit for fucking 30 years, and they're a one-hit wonder. You know, just like busting balls on fucking Ace of Spades. You know, that's their fucking big hit. It, it's oversimplifying, but I've, you know, people have said that, like ACDC, you know. They, they managed to make a career out of one song. So, when you put on Airheads, when you have Airheads hit, you know, and at the time when Airheads is happening... People are getting out 
of the era that these guys were trying really hard to bust through, and they were underground in. Mm-hmm. We were trying to get out of that fucking hair metal. All of a sudden, they get a little bump from fucking, you know, a, a, a song on the soundtrack, a feature in the film, and a joke in the film. And then, right around the, you know, a few years later, I mean, it's probably 96, 97, you know, now you have the WWE thing happening when literally the WWE is becoming one of the biggest things around. And then that keeps going. That never ends. I mean, Triple H is still, he still wrestles to this day. Not as often, but he still wrestles. And when he does, he comes out to the game by a fucking motorhead. That still goes. How many of those WWE fucking, you know, ruthless aggression fucking <laughs> uh, compilation CDs that they put out? Right. You know, now you got Motorhead on a CD right next to Killswitch Engage. I have that. I mean, that's that's what I'm talking about with, like, the WWE. They reach a lot of people. They have a shitload of fans. And, again, that cult still gets bigger. Ne- probably never, I mean, never reaching mainstream status. But they're probably, like, the poster boys for underground music. I would Successful say they almost, by the music. time they were, by the time they were over, they kind of filled their own niche. Because, like... They eventually did become something of a household name, never to the stature of, again, Metallica, but who could? Um, I wouldn't even say as much as Slayer, maybe. Or maybe, I don't know, because there might be a little more approachability than than your Slayers. But, like, they had their own niche by the end of their tenure, you know? They got played on Late Night, they got played on MTV and commercials, they got mentioned and played in kids' movies. Like, they're their own kind of little th- oh fucking motorhead dude you know like they're this kind of given thing now that's what i'm saying they're like the poster boys for like underground music because they somehow without changing at all became fucking pretty fucking big you know, like um pantera comes to mind having a number one fucking what it, what was it a number one album without releasing a single before the album came out mm-hmm. or was it the number one album without a number one single something like that with uh, far beyond driven It was all done the underground way, but the success was way beyond underground success. Right. Lamb of God comes to mind. Yeah, that's true too. And to some degree, you know, Slayer and Metallica, although I think Metallica less so because they did change their style to a less underground style. Slayer didn't. Motorhead didn't. Not that Motorhead had anything insane, but just because, just, dude, just having Lemmy still sing the way he sings is enough. Yeah, for you sure. You know what I mean? Like, I really like his fucking vocals. I think he sounds awesome. Yeah, same. But I absolutely see where a lot of, like, it would turn off a lot of people. For sure. You know what I mean? So. Back then, that was probably, like, the craziest thing you could hear, you know, when it first came out. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, then comes Venom, then comes fucking Because they were, like, one of the fastest everything. things. Like, that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to be in a rock band. They wanted to be really fast. Mm-hmm. And this was as fast as it got for a while. Yeah. They wanted to be the antithesis of Hawkwind. Super stripped down, super straightforward to the point. Yeah. And they always were. Oh, yeah, dude. There's something to be said for when you look at bands like Motorhead, bands like Bon Jovi. That Bon Jovi is like the same thing but the other side of rock and roll. Right, yeah. That mellower side, the lovey-dovey side. You mm-hmm. know, the highly polished side. These guys are the rough underbelly side. Yeah. You know, and and it's it you know Bon Jovi's to some degree misfits, the Ramones. That's pretty much all they were doing. Was playing fucking rock and roll songs. 
The same mm-hmm. fucking progressions everybody else has been playing. To the point where, over the course of 22 albums, if you decide to listen to it all, which I got close, damn, <laughs> it really just starts to sound the same. Yeah. Production, time aside, yeah. Yeah. It all fucking sounds the same. They don't deviate from the rock uh, arena much. Mm-hmm. And more power to them. I mean, they know what they want to do, and they do it well, and... Why, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know what I mean? Like, fuck it. Not everything has to be cutting edge. You know, not everything has to push the envelope. It's got to be extreme. No, not everything's got to be that. Some shit is just like, this is what we do. We're just going to keep doing it. Yep. Stop us. And they couldn't be stopped. I mean, for all the fucking troubles they had with fucking band members fucking leaving, band members dying, fucking record labels dropping them, tours falling through, through all that. And I mean, massive amounts of fucking alcohol, dude. Amongst other things, yeah. I mean, fuck, dude. They somehow still could not be stopped until fucking, (laughs) until death finally came knocking for fucking Lemmy. I swear, dude, and I mean, we all knew that some things were inevitable, but like, like part of me deep down on a subconscious level, maybe just felt like he would always live forever. You know what I mean? Like... (laughs) It's just like, dude, it's gotta be coming, right? Did you see the Hard Times article where it was all shortly after he passed away? It was all Lemmy impersonator dies three days after starting or something like that. <laughs> yeah, so, something along those lines. Little Shout out the Hard Times. Ian Fraser Kilmister. Yeah, man, he just was the embodiment, dude. So, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Did you didn't get the a chance to watch the documentary? No. Okay, so I when didn't it, know there was one. So when I did watch it, it was on Netflix. I checked again. It, it hasn't been for a while, apparently. Really interesting, though. Talks about his upbringing. Talks about, you know, his time in, his little time in Hawkwind, his little, you know, time in Motorhead. But it also talks about, you know, his whole thing about being a war. I'm trying to think of the right word here. I don't, because enthusiast sounds weird. But, you know, he, he was very interested in wartime stuff to the point where he goes to a tank museum I think somewhere in Southern California and he knows more about the tanks than the people work in the museum and stuff. You know what I mean? And he's in a <laughs> borderline sketchy military outfit. He, he was, he, he was very peculiar about his aesthetic choices. Um, but apparently, and I, and I know there's dates, concrete dates, and I unfortunately can't remember them, but like eventually he just moves to LA and stays there. In this little shitty apartment somewhere in Hollywood, like a second floor apartment, and it's tiny, and, he, and they're like, "Why are you staying here, dude? He's rent control, dude. I've been playing the same rates since whatever in the '80s, and and it's like just just full of shit. You've seen, you know, in the movies, and even even in some cases, real life, the shitty stereotypical Hollywood band dude apartments. And this is a guy that's toured the world. He's not like some aspiring rock star. He's the rock star and he's still living the same way. And I love, I kind of love that. But just like the sheer amounts of shit people have either given him or that he's picked up along the way. He crams into every possible space and it shows him like adding more stuff after he got back off tour. Dude, like (laughs) he was just the guy. And I regret not doing this while I still had a chance, but, you know, if he wasn't on tour, you could always count on him being at the Rainbow in the exact same spot, playing his little video poker machine. Oh, yeah, yeah. So much so that that section is now closed off and reserved for him. And if I'm not mistaken, there's also a statue in his honor. 
I can't think of very many other people that have the same notoriety and legendary status and cult of personality that he had. You know, again, we talk about Metallica as by far and away the biggest metal band in the world, and they're always going to, is going to be. But like, dudes like Lemmy, dudes like Ozzy, maybe a select few others, still have much more of a legendary status that goes beyond that, you know? Like, fuck, dude, he's got action figures, he's got bobbleheads, you name it, dude. Like, everybody always, when you think of a Rickenbacker bass, you think of him first and foremost. 99.9% of the time, I'm sure there's somebody. But you know what I mean? Like, But yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like Cliff and Lemmy. I mean, yeah. so over time, I mean, because you have... 22 studio albums, 10 live recordings, 12 compilations albums, and five EPs over the course of 40 years. Pretty admirable. Pretty good average most, most bands that are going over 40 years don't put out that much stuff. I don't even think Rush had hit that point. Mm-hmm. Maiden took too many breaks, I believe, to probably hit that point. Right. These guys just never really stopped. You know? So, I mean, R.I.P.D., fucking Phil Taylor, Eddie Clark. Yeah, we got to love uh, Eddie Clark's other band, Fastway, which he was barely even in. <laughs> I was going to say, dude, if you literally look at the tenure of some of these guys, because we talk about, you know, there's the classic lineup, quote unquote, of Motorhead, which I absolutely yeah. agree with. And like they were really, at least in the case of Eddie Clark, was only in there for maybe six years. Phil Taylor, a little more than that. But and even then there was a little time in between. But I love the story about because there were two dudes before them and they both got ousted for whatever reason. And then the story of. I think it was Lemmy knew Phil Taylor because they were like, they knew each other from like the quote unquote speed scene, you know, from like, Oh, I know that guy. He does drugs too. He does the same. He knows the same dealers I do probably. Right. Yeah. And so that's how he meets him. And then in the case of Eddie Clark, it was, uh, he got Phil Taylor got hired to paint a houseboat or something like that. And I think it was Eddie Clark was the one who was like kind of his supervisor or something like that. And like, that's how you're getting into this van. Yeah. And the yeah. fact that they, you know, because their story about um, the On Parole, what became the On Parole album, was supposed to be their first album, and it got rejected by the label. Uh, I don't know if I've actually ever heard it. But, like, I guess the deal was they were gonna they were going to quit the band because they hadn't gotten picked up yet. And then, yeah, and then the first Motorhead album hits, and then they're just off to the races. And then what a streak of albums they did under that lineup. It's crazy that they think that like that that is considered the the definitive lineup when I mean dude fucking Phil Campbell played with the band from like 84 to 20, 2015. It was over 30 years, yeah. And then Mickey D was with them for almost 30. Yeah. But it's but like he, but Mickey D joined in 91 which kind of a, is a little bit of a sweet spot. But I mean I still it trips me out that like the dude joined in 84. Uh-huh. And he's still not considered. But it's weird, too, because Fast Eddie Clark started Fastway. I don't even think he recorded an album with him. Very or he recorded, he recorded like one album with him, and then he started his own band called Wasted. Uh-huh. Or Wasted. Yeah. But, like, you know what I think it is? It's just the albums that that lineup created more than anything else. You know what I mean? Because there was tons of output from the Mickey well, D and Phil Campbell years, but it's, you know, Overkill and Ace of Spades, man. They were the... Three that played Ace of Spades. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, so the other crazy thing, not exactly the same time, but around the same time, all those dudes pass away. Did you see the tributes that came out? Like, (laughs) I shouldn't be laughing because it's fucked up and it's actually kind of making me teary, but like, it's it's the Ace of Spades cover and it's empty. Yeah. Like, dude, 
that, that, you know, again, talking legendary status. It, it's how fucked up is that, dude? Not fucked up, but like, how crazy is that, I should say? Most of the albums are some variation with Snaggletooth, and all of them, for the most part, are pretty cool. Go figure the most iconic and famous one is just them dressed up as cowboys. <laughs> like, you know, Snaggletooth uh, at all, right? And like, just like, that's the one, that's the one everybody goes to mentally when they think of Motorhead. And even reading the story about that, like, where it was they they were each supposed to be a different kind of western figure. I think it was um, Eddie Clark was supposed to be like a Clint Eastwood type, specifically the spaghetti westerns, and the other two were whatever. But like I the idea of that that's the aesthetic they were going for. Apparently before that it was supposed to be a sepia tone picture of them playing cards in a saloon or something. But just the idea that they wanted to make it look like a western setting, so they found some sand pit in a suburb of England. It's it's trying to look like the West and it's just some, Oh, there's some dirt over there. Like I love stuff like that. That's awesome, dude. Oh, the yeah. story from, um, Scott Ian, when he was getting, you know, starting up anthrax, hearing Ace of Spades for the first time, losing his mind going. And you see in the cover thinking they're Mexican banditos going, who's this band from Mexico? I must know more. And then obviously finding out more, but you know, everybody having their own little That's personal what I collection. Thought when I- that's what I thought when I first saw it. Yeah, man. It's just they look so sick. Even when they're trying to be goofy and dress like cowboys, they look sick. You know what I mean? Because I, I'd only ever seen Snaggletooth. So I was like, wait, they're Mexicans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Because I, so. I saw the video for Eat the Rich. I'm like, they didn't look Mexican. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, but they're... And then I was like, oh, wait, wait, wait. That's just the album cover or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Back when, I, readily, you know, information wasn't as readily accessible. Yeah. I'm sure that's the story for a lot of people. Yeah, I think I've only ever seen, like, three music videos of theirs. It's like Ace of Spades, Iron Fist, and uh, Eat the Rich. So that'll that'll come into play with my list for sure. I guess, is there anything else we really need to add, or do you want to get right into it? Because what else can we say that we couldn't just say the same of for hours and hours about the same things, right? I don't know. Do you have honorable mentions? I do. Uh, real quick, okay. before we do that, I did check Apple Music. I am definitely leaning more towards Apple Music. A lot of people that were trying out different stuff are talking about how cool Tidal is, too, so I'm kind of curious. But, like, I'm pretty satisfied with Apple Music so far, so check this out. You got the first thing that pops up is your Essential album. Obviously, it's it's actually two different versions of Ace of Spades. And then you have all the studio albums, and then they actually have a section for music videos. And then they have the playlists... And then it's broken up by singles and EPs. I would almost prefer two separate sections for that too, but I guess I could see that. Oh, hey, the Uh, Triple H one is on there. But yeah, they have a whole section for live albums alone, just like you were saying. And there's 17 of these. And I know there's got to be more that are just out of print or like they're under some weird licensing thing from whatever company, right? So like, that's still a lot of live albums, dude. That's fucking gnarly. Yeah, and then compilations out the ass too. It's wild. They actually have more output than Metallica, if you really look at it. That's that's crazy. Oh, yeah. And now it's time for the namesake. It's time! For the list. The list. <laughs> so, how about some honorable mentions? Honorable mention for me, Orgasmatron. The only reason, the only reason it didn't make my list is because Sepultura ruined it. <laughs> so, okay, that's interesting you say that. Sepultura is the first time I heard it. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and also I guess it's worth mentioning Sepultura got their name from Motorhead. So there's that cool little connection. Uh, Overkill, too. Probably a bunch of others. Oh, uh, there's got to be sure. multiple bands called Orgasmatron, speaking oh, of. Oh, yeah, dude, for sure. But just like I couldn't really process what was going on at the time, but it was like this weird futuristic borderline industrial before industrial was a thing. You know what I mean? Like there's a robotic kind of sci-fi vibe to it. Almost, I can't, you know, similar to what Priest did with their monster songs and all that. There's just something about that fucking when the drums it's just, it just hits you in all the right places. But yeah, I mean, Sepultura fucking ruined it, man, because they covered it so fucking good that I just don't listen to the Motorhead version very often. I just, when I want to hear that song, I listen to the fucking Sepultura version all fucking day. Yeah, fair. Um, another one's Iron Fist. The only reason it didn't make my fucking list is because Sodom fucking redid it in 87. And I mean, it's fucking righteous. So, oh yeah, Iron Fist, dude. Like, Sodom did it in 87. Austrian Death Machine did it. And Corpiclani did it. All of them. Uh, dude, don't even, don't, don't even look up how many fucking bands are called Iron Fist. Oh, I can only imagine. You know, I mean... And it's not like they, you know, I don't think they made the word. Don't get me wrong. You know, ruling with the Iron Fist has been a thing for long before Motorhead. Mm-hmm. But those are the two big honorable mentions I have. And literally the only reason they didn't make my list. Well, I mean, we only have five. Yeah. But to, you know, a, a, a large part of the reason why they didn't make my list, you know, is because... <laughs> The cover's just kind of fucking ruined it. One of the songs that made my list almost got ruined by a cover, but we'll get mm. there. Interesting. What about some honorable mentions for you? So, one that's not even in my honorable mentions list that I'm going to give an honorable mention to anyways, because we don't put covers in. I'm just going to say the cover they did for God Save the Queen. That was the first time I actually heard that song. I had never even heard the Sex Pistols one until a little while later. (laughs) And that was the end of the, it was the tail end of the clean shaven Lemmy thing. You know, they're playing the top of a double decker bus somewhere in the UK. And it's a fun little video. I prefer that version more these days for a number of reasons. But as far as actual Motorhead songs go, I'm actually going to go with the song Motorhead. And I don't know if it's the same song made for Hawkwind called Motorhead where they got their name. But, you know, song off the first album, the single that got him signed. It's like, you know, his whole thing about we're not a metal band, we're a rock and roll band. And I was just like, yeah, but like, you definitely got absorbed into what metal became or like there's elements of what became metal anyway. So there's always going to be part of that lineage. The one album and song I could see exception to that is the Motorhead song Motorhead. You know what I mean? Like, just kind of a rocking song. It's just like that weird, I don't know how you describe it, but that kind of tingly, jangly guitar sound, very prominent in the 80s in the UK. 80s and actually 70s. This was the 70s. Oh, yeah. 77, I think. Yeah. And uh, we always talk about the influence they had on the metal scene, obviously. But, you know, punk, big time, too. You know, there's two very prominent genres of punk that came out of the UK that were heavily influenced by Motorhead. One being street punk, which I always get confused about if it's the second or third wave. The waves of punk get confusing to me after a while in the UK. But it's one of the the waves that came after the initial with the Sex Pistols and the Clash and the Damned and all that. 
And they kind of had that jangly guitar thing going too. So there's a little metal in street punk, but then you talk crust punk, which is pretty much full on metal. That's just made by the dirtiest, most gross punks possible. You know what I mean? Tons of motorhead <laughs> in that too. And so you hear a lot of where that's coming in for sure. And from this beginning onward from there, Hellraiser, as we talked about before, it's a song he wrote for Ozzy for, it was no more tears, right? Among with whatever four other songs. And so to hear him do it, it's kind of like when Danzig wrote those songs for, uh, or that song for Johnny Cash. And then even yeah. after that happened, he went ahead and did it himself. Um, well, that, that's, that's been a thing for a while, too. Um, there was a Kenny Rogers, Lionel Richie lady. Hmm. You're my lady? I Maybe think I'd have to hear lady. it. That was, that was one that both of them ended up doing. Um, another one I could think of just off the top of my head was uh, What a Fool Believes. That was Kenny Loggins wrote a song for the Moody Blues. No, hmm. Doobie Brothers. Moody Blues. Whatever group uh, Michael McDonald was in. Oh, uh, I think that was Doobie Brothers, yeah. Yeah, and then... Uh, I think. And then Kenny Loggins ended up doing it. And then Prince also did a, a version of Nothing Compares to You that he wrote for Sinead O'Connor right. as well. Yeah, yeah. I love stories like that, so man. So it's, it's kind of a common thing Burt Backrack for years I mean wrote songs for tons of people and then eventually he ended up performing those same songs uh, right yeah yeah I love shit like that that's cool you get a different take on the song I mean because it's the same song Hellraiser is the same song but to yeah. hear Lemmy doing the lead vocal is like because he's not on the Aussie version no and so it's it's weird to listen to. <laughs> you know? Well, so here's the thing. The Aussie one's weird to me because Hellraiser by Motorhead's the first one I heard. So really? I always talk about, yeah, I always talk about much music's loud program in the late 90s, some some of the early 2000s, but especially in the late 90s being huge on me, you know, or I should say making a huge impact on me. And in the case of Motorhead, they showed a shit ton of Motorhead videos. That's how most of this list is going to go. And I remember taking a family trip right after I, they called it, got promoted, but, you know, got, you know, graduated from middle school right before I'm about, you know, right after I get out of eighth grade, the summer before I'm going into ninth grade for high school. And we pull off the road in some random ass place in um, New Mexico. I wouldn't even know where to find it now. Like you see some deserts and people call that desolate. Like this was literal, like gray dirt, dude. It looked like a friggin' bomb went off there and nothing ever recovered kind of deal, right? <laughs> and there's a windstorm on top of that, too. And we decided to camp there for some reason, just this pile of dirt just on the side of the road. And a lot of people did. I don't know what the deal with that is. We bring our gigantic-ass TV with us. You know, the big, ugly, boxy TVs with the little things you flip on the sides, and that's Jesus, where the speakers are. So dude, they, did you have yeah. a fucking dolly to fucking carry it in there? No, we just hurt our backs. I'm sure of the several things that contributed to my back problems, that I was, was probably say, one of them. Did you bring a fucking pack mule? Yeah. So we set this up outside, and we have this weird, like, like we had this satellite thing where, to like, we, we could get satellite TV if we could just pinpoint where the satellite was. You know, <laughs> like we had to work for it. You know, uh, some fucking we, NORAD shit. Yeah, exactly. But we got the TV going, and outside we watched this much music. Just happened to be this particular night episode where it was all motorhead interviews with lemmy and just old ass motorhead videos that i would never see any other way 
and I don't remember if this is one of them, but it's going to be a lot of my list, but for sure seeing this and I'm just starting to get into horror movies too. And it's him playing cards against Hellraiser and Pinhead and all the Cenobites. And I've never actually seen Hellraiser 3. I've got a wild hair up my ass recently to watch the first two that I haven't seen since probably when this was going on. And those still hold up decently for what they are. I just hear the whole series gets batshit crazy after that, starting with Hellraiser 3. Oh, yeah. I guess Motorhead or at least Lemmy has a cameo in it, too. He was in a fuck ton of movies. You ever see um, Hardware? No, but I know he was in a lot of stuff, man. Yeah. Hardware is a trip because it's like this future dystopian movie. And it's got cameos from Iggy Pop. And he's like the DJ of this future dystopian place. And he's like, hey, check out this great new song from this great guy. And it's Iggy Pop, Cold Metal, which would have been out that at the time. And then Lemmy's this... Uh, Lemmy's this ferry boat dude in this toxic waste ferry or something. He's like, all right, check out this awesome band. And it's Ace of Spades. So I've got to see Hellraiser 3 probably. But from what I understand, after that, that's it. But like, what a fucking fun song, dude. And it fits the aesthetic with the card playing. And like, it's got a good just kind of boogie rhythm to it, you know. And it makes sense that it's a Lemmy song. It sounds like a goddamn Motorhead song. So fast forward years later, when I finally do hear the Aussie version, I'm like, what the hell? Aussie covered this? Not realizing, oh no, that was part of the batch of songs that he did. And it just, yeah, it sounds like, <laughs> that's what it sounds like, is it sounds like Ozzy putting his vocals over a Motorhead song, and it sounds weird. So yeah, coming from that perspective, hearing the Ozzy song sounded weird, because I heard the Motorhead one first. Uh, and then uh, Orgasmatron, too, yeah. But that's it, man. Like, I, there's a lot of other ones and other directions it could have gone for the kind of consistent, concise thing we're doing with Motorhead here. I thought that was pretty good. So on that note, what is your number five? My number five is the Ace of Spades. The Ace of Spades. It's their biggest song. Mm-hmm. It's it's the fucking hit for a reason. It fucking rules. You know, that distorted bass that just permeates their whole entire catalog is just... Which, which oddly enough, is a lot of their songs. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if it ever just like didn't occur to them or if they just really wanted to keep the... Yeah, I used to wonder for years, like, how come they never just did a... Not on this song, but I mean, just in general. Mm-hmm. And they don't a whole lot, and then then it kind of hit me. I was like, "Well, rock and you know, rock and roll band. I mean, they really hit that boogie woogie kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you end up with a lot of you know, like that sort of thing. But I mean, dude, and I mean, the fucking covers of this are like fucking Jesus, dude. Notable Body Count did a R.I.P. Lemmy mm-hmm. um, version of Ace of Spades. My favorite Ace of Spades covers, Blood for Blood. Mm. You know, okay. and they, they hardcore it up a little bit. But, like, you can't deny this fucking song. I mean, I, I know people who don't necessarily like Motorhead that really love the song. It's it's just that kind of a fucking song. And, I mean, yeah, you know, for Metallica fans, I mean... I mean, it's kind of the same thing. It's just not swingy. Right. You know, for Whiplash. And so it's like, it's just one of those things. It's like, it's just always going to work. You know, regardless of, you know, whatever band throws their own little spin on it. You know how they have the... Because, I mean, even Motorhead has a song that does it. The fucking... You know, or... Like that old blues shit. I mean, every fucking buddy has a song like that. I mean, bluesy bands. It's... 
And it's like, well, how is never how is no one ever getting ripped off on this, right? I mean, I never really understood how that works, but it's a staple in blues, and and I I I think that like this sort of like that's a staple in like boogie rock and roll, right? And sure. and and almost anybody could fucking use it and throw their little variations on it, whatever. Man, I mean, the song just it just fucking kicks ass. It's the first one I fucking heard them playing in a fucking living room. With, like, some, like, pink and purple lights. Maybe a little bit of green and blue. But, like, Lemmy with the fucking high microphone. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, fucking looking damn near straight up. His fucking mirror shades on. That was very much one of his things. Oh, yeah, man. Like, it was was one of those things, like, I saw that, you know, and then I I see the video for Eat the Rich, and it was the same thing. And then I've seen, I mean, I've watched, like, live uh, DVDs and stuff, and it's just Lemmy. I mean, it's... He's an icon for a reason. He's a fucking legend for a reason. And it's not just the antics. It's not just the fucking drugs and alcohol. It's not just the sayings. I mean, even his fucking stage presence. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked package. about it with Fred Durst, how he had like that charisma, dude. And Lemmy, for all his you know, looks and the way he dressed and the sound of his voice, he had so much fucking charisma. Mm-hmm. You know, when he died, man, 2015, I think. Um, you know, I yeah, mean, it was late 2015. You'd see everybody on fucking social media not just metal musicians but just musicians actors filmmakers art um uh, authors i mean everybody had pictures with lemmy like he was just one of those dudes like you meet this guy and you're like he's a that's a fucking rock star oh you know one thing we forgot to talk about as far as as uh airheads yes they do the lemmy joke yes they have a motorhead song and yes lemmy's in the movie there's also a big ass Lemmy picture in uh, Jimmy Wing's building. Yes. In one of the office things. And yeah. Lemmy is credited as Lemmy Von Motorhead. Yep, 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 yep. Like. But, uh, so, the Young Ones Bambi episode. Check it out. You'll see fucking Motorhead. I'm not sure where the hell you would see it. Maybe YouTube or something. Oh, YouTube. That's how I did it. I mean, dude, it's fucking great. Um, what is your number five? So, I just realized I fucked up. I need to, before I get into number five, I have one more honorable mention because it's not a Motorhead song, but it might as well damn be. What have you been seeing a lot of in metal news this week? What are, what's a lot of people talking about? Is Dave Grohl, of this oh, whole yeah. new wave of people is all of a sudden surprised that Dave Grohl's a metal guy. Yeah, that's so weird. Even man. though he did, you know, he's talked about so clearly you've never heard. Clearly you've never heard Probot. Well, so... That's where I'm going. Right. The Probot song, yeah. Dude, so one of my favorite things ever was I. it was maybe so... Okay, Mastodon played this, so it had to be 2006, I want to say. 2006 going into 2007 because they played Colony of Birchmen off Blood Mountain, and that was 2006. So the idea was it was a bunch of different... I don't even... You can't even call them venues, just different spots in Vegas because some of these weren't actual venues. For New Year's Eve, they did a thing where MTV or MTV2, whatever MTV it was, had a different spot where a different night of acts were performing of different styles and genres. And while I'd like to consider myself an open-minded guy, I didn't give a fuck about any of those other ones. The one they had for whatever you want to call it, the rock place, it was starting. It's Foo Fighters, Dave Grohl, Cigarette in His Mouth. They're playing Shake Your Blood by Probot, by themselves, just as Foo Fighters. To start the evening off. He's nice. fucking got the cigarette in his mouth <laughs> while he's singing, too. Dave Grohl's underappreciated. Yes, there's some cheese ball shit. Yes, there's here's and there's. Overall, he's good for the community. Fuck it. He's awesome. 
So then it goes, yeah, then they obviously play some actual Foo Fighter songs. Then they invite other people to, you know, they had CeeLo Green, Preby, and a more known piece of shit coming up and doing Dear Nikki by, um, by Prince, Prince, which then if you remember how that worked out, he in return played Best of You in a Prince style on the Super Bowl halftime show. Yes. Love that. Uh, what else? He also had Josh Homme come out and do some, like, you know, I don't know if it was straight up Queens of the Stone Age stuff, but they did some stuff. And then that was one of the big ones was they just got off and all of Mastodon came up and did Colony of the Birchmen with Josh Homme. There was a lot of cool shit. Tons of cool shit. How do they end it? They play Shake Your Blood again, but this time Lemmy's singing. And he doesn't have a bass, so he's just freehanding it. And it, you're just like, nice. how does he look even sicker without a fucking bass, dude? Like, it just, <laughs> it was so sick. Awesome. I don't know how, if you can find that readily, because it was, like, part of the actual MTV website back in the day, I think. And God knows how many times that's probably changed since then. But it was sick. So, yeah, dude. Shake Your Blood. Pretty much a Motorhead song. And I'm pretty sure they actually played it, too. So, fuck it. Getting back on track. My number five... I don't think it's very seldom talked about. It's kind of a more random one, but it's one of those things where once you're into something and it just starts showing up more and more in random spots. So aside from the videos on, on uh, much music, I'm also doing music choice back in the day. What, you know, in the way later channels in direct TV or whatever the hell it would have been. I think it was direct TV for us back then. So I'm hearing some random motorhead songs. One comes up sacrifice possibly hit motorhead at their fucking heaviest and actually most metallic just a beater dude like rough and tumble and i find out recently the producer on it was actually howard benson who's a well-known mainstream rock producer now it's just like it's stuff like that it's like fucking howard benson produced that dude the guy that did the seosin self-titled first album and satellite <laughs> by pod you know what i mean like he did the most famous my chemical romance records and he got one of the things he did before all that was this fucking song off that album by by Motorhead. It's just gnarly. And it's got like one of the more intense Snaggletooths on the cover. To oh, yeah. Perfect accompaniment. Fucking. It's like not even an actual face. It's just like this weird fire, blood. If you didn't know whatever. better, you'd think it was like a fucking German death metal band, dude. Yeah, man. Like, and it's perfect. Like that, I, there might be a heavier, more intense version of Motorhead, but I can't think of what it is right now. And again, we talk about appearing in movies and TV shows a lot. I still haven't seen this, but you ever watch any trauma movies by chance? Uh, I have in the past, and I know that he was in a few of those. Yeah, so I, this, I guess this one was prominently featured in Tromeo and Juliet, which I've always heard about in passing, and I know he was in the movie too. I might watch it one day. I might not. <laughs> I, I kind of had my time with those movies when I was like a teenager and it's my buddy trying to be like, oh, this is so fucked up. You want to see it? Just, I guess. But dude, yeah. Possibly their most intense fucking sacrifice, dude. How about you? You're number four. That might four. be, man. That one's, that one's pretty fucking heavy. Mm -hmm. I mean, for them. Yeah. Uh, what year was that one? That was... Uh, Mid-90s? Maybe 93, 94, yeah, 95? Yeah, 1995. Yeah, Fuck. okay. That yeah, yeah, that was one of those, like, I remember seeing that album cover and just going, man, mm -hmm. they don't sound like that album cover looks. But that song's pretty close. Mm -hmm. That was a good one. Yeah. I already mentioned my number four, The Game. Ah, okay. Big hanging chords. Lemmy just, I mean, fucking, you know, some tune, tune, it's like, time to play. Time to play. And, you know, Triple H is like, 
at the fucking entrance, you know, and there's flashing lights everywhere. Can't really see him yet, you know. And then you just hear Lemmy's fucking voice as Triple H's face comes onto the, the Titan Tron screens. Time to play the game. And then it... Wow. He's walking down the fucking aisle. You know, and then the main riff is a... It's a little different for most Motorhead songs. It's not a fast song at all. And I mean, they probably... You know, wrote it for an entrance theme so he could walk out to it, whatever. Well, I was going to say, not knowing much about wrestling in general, I know there's some dude who they had to go, everybody had to go through this, uh, the one dude who did all the music, right? Even if they were going to collaborate. Was this one of those songs? Like where it was specifically geared for the wrestling stuff? It wasn't through that guy. This was Motorhead writing a song for Triple H. Okay. But even and, then, I guess I could foresee them and being performing like, well, it and performing it for a Triple H. But they probably sat down. And was like, you know, hey, how long does your entrance fucking last? Whatever. Because right. there's a part like you know, right after the probably like the first. I don't know if there's really a chorus. There's a part where it breaks. And there's this guitar. Wow, 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 you know, it kind of goes back to it. And that's right around the time he's it's fading out. He's already done. You know, he gets on the side of the ring, and then he puts some water in his mouth, does the big fucking X with his hands, sprays the water up into the air, and gets in the ring, takes off the whatever it is he's wearing, whatever, and, and he's uh, getting ready. Lights start coming up and whatnot. And that's it's right around that time. So it's like, if you listen to the whole song, I mean, there's like a, I mean, there's a whole song. But really what's used is probably... I don't know, probably a couple minutes. Really cool when they actually like performed it at that WrestleMania. I'm pretty sure it was WrestleMania. It was one of their bigger pay-per-views. It was fucking stupid, dude. It was so cool. And he like walks right past him, gets on the stage with him. Like, I mean, I'm sure he's having the fucking time of his life right there. But I mean, I'm sure it was the time of his life finding out fucking his favorite band's going to do his fucking entrance theme, you know? Right. But uh, again, you just think like how many times he's walked out to that. I mean, I, I used to watch every week pay-per-views pay-per-views that i didn't see i'd wait and rent the dvds like when i uh we had a uh, rental place that did those like five dvds for five bucks for five days Mm. and uh i'd go over there and get like all these wrestling ones and then record the matches i wanted onto a one tape or whatever and i mean i can't even tell you how many times i've seen him walk out to the song and it's just like it was just always so fucking cool mostly because i knew it was motorhead it's funny i i had a one of my i think it was like my old guitar player came over one time I was in the middle of watching a pay-per-view and he was like is this suicidal tendencies and I was like wait what intriguing <laughs> like no man it's fucking motorhead I don't think I've ever heard that comparison before but hmm. not much more to say on that I, if you've watched pro wrestling man you know the song you may not know it's motorhead but you know the fucking song What's number four for you? So let me take you back to that fateful night in 1999 in some random part of New Mexico. There's fucking thunder in the skies. It's dark and cloudy. It's windy. And we're sitting there, dirt blowing all over the place. On comes the video for Killed by Death. Nice. Dude. And it's got kind of that bluesy, early roots rock and roll vibe to it. But like talking about that intersection where it's them taking their roots, their rock and roll in the purest form roots, 
and taken what eventually continues on into metal, dude. Like, it's got that kind of crunchier, heavier, riffier vibe to it, and that kind of more grandiose epicness to it, but it's still got that kind of boogie, roots rock vibe. Now, that's just the music. Yeah, I've always liked the intro. Yeah, it's like, Killed by Death, what the hell does that even mean? It's just like, talking about the lyric prowess of, of Motorhead here. Same deal, <laughs> man. Like, kind of not too dissimilar to Priest, even though a lot of, you know... What became prototypical metal came with Priest. They just talk about rocking and like ridiculous stuff like killed by death. You know what I mean? Just... <laughs> yeah. So that's just the music component. The video for killed by death itself, dude, like it's him on a motorcycle with all of his other buddies on motorcycles while chicks are hanging on to him and they're all wearing sunglasses and it's night getting shot at by riot cops you know, hanging out windshields with shotguns and shit. And then all of a sudden, you're at Lemmy's funeral. He's like, oh, how'd he die? Who knows? And then what happens? He rides his damn motorcycle out of the grave and continues the chase out of the grave with all of his buddies getting chased by the cops shooting <laughs> out of him. Like, rock and roll ridiculousness at its fucking peak, dude. Just plain awesome. <laughs> I mean, there's like really nothing else to it, dude. And in that little kill by death creep up bridge section, he's all staring at the camera all weird, and I think the lights are green. It is funny. I'm going completely off of 20-some-odd-year-old memories for most, if not all, of these videos. I might actually have to watch some of these just for fun later. I'm sure <laughs> some of my recollection will change, but I don't care, dude. I'm going off of 14-year-old Dave memories here. Just one of the sickest things to me, you know? And it's those oh, little yeah. connections you make that make some things that end up in your top five, for example, you know? Uh. Which will be revisited next. But until then, what is your number three? Mine's the... I mean, straight Chuck Berry shit, dude. But I remember watching a little documentary called Decline of the Western Civilization Part 2. There we go, yeah. I think it's part two. It is, because the first one is LA hardcore scene. Two is metal in general. I've never seen the first one, but I haven't know, either. Dave Mustaine, Chris Holmes, fucking Ozzy Osbourne. Yep. I and I had the soundtrack. And the soundtrack was fucking cool. I loved it. And one of my favorite songs from that soundtrack is a motorhead song called Cradle to the Grave. It's just like, you'll be living on the razor's edge soon as you learn to shave. Like, I mean, we're talking dead nuts lyrics. Make sure you live to be a long time dead. Cradle to the grave. So good. So cheesy. His shit always rhymes. Well, most of the time. Most of the time. And there's a lot of times he makes some cheesy lines, you know, to make sure that they all fucking rhyme or whatever. Yeah, whatever gets Which the job done. will be exemplified in my number one song. <laughs> but, uh, no, man, it's there's nothing, I don't know what he's called, there's nothing heavy about the song. Yeah, this song was from 87. I, I'm sure I heard it in 88 when the movie came out. But, yeah, I don't think, I mean, it wasn't written for the movie, I don't think. I think it was just, uh, in fact, I don't think there's a lot of stuff that was actually written for the movie. But, no, there's nothing heavy about it. It's just, uh... For some reason, man, like, it just all clicked for me on this song. And I, I, I guarantee you, most of it's because it's, it was on that soundtrack. You know, like, that's why you put songs on soundtracks, is you get that extra, what would you call that? Your extra, I don't know, connection, I guess, maybe. <laughs> 
Yeah, you, know, you get sure. a little bit, you, a little something more than just a song, a little something more than just a band, a little bit something more than just a movie. You get all three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't heard that one, I mean, I don't know. There's, I will, I won't sit here and say it's like a fucking standout, you know, totally different Motorhead song, like the game is. It's not like that. I mean, it's it's like most of their other songs. What is number three for you? So this one's an interesting pick. For a number of reasons. I, going back again, loud, dude. I don't remember if it was that same night, although I'm pretty sure it was. This random ass one off song. So, Fast Eddie Clark leaves, apparently because they did a collaboration with the Plasmatics, and apparently he thought that compromised the values. Wendy O'Williams. Yeah. To which it's like, you're a fucking motorhead. What, what values are you talking about here, man? But whatever. So, there was this one little stopgap thing. Before they moved on to Phil Campbell, and I remember they were a four-piece at one point. I can't remember the other guy's name, unfortunately, at the moment. But they had a guitar player who used to be in Thin Lizzy by the name of Brian Robertson, and this was a one-album deal with him. And this song is called I've Got... I Got Mine. And it's... I'm trying to think of what appeals to me. Well, first of all, again, it's a music video where they're all wearing sunglasses, and it's clearly indoors at night. And it's just them playing, but they look so sick while doing it shimmery really shimmery guitars and there's a sense of melody in it that you don't get in a lot of the other motorhead songs where they're just trying to be badass but it's an interesting it's an interesting pace and an interesting beat you also don't get to hear in a lot of motorhead songs when it gets to the chorus it's okay they're a little grittier and more rocking and then it kind of goes in and out of each other of those two things a couple times and there was always just something that really stuck with me about this song man again there's Probably the melody and those really shimmery, but still having that same kind of twingy guitar sounds that I always feel. Yeah, it's so got like a little bit of like a chorus sound on the guitar. Yeah. It's very of the time. And I wonder if you took the same song and you put a different production job on it now, would I feel the same way? I feel like that, that sound probably has a lot to do with it. But it's cool. It's just a good ass rocking song, man. Something slightly different to what I expected from Motorhead, and that's probably why it sticks out enough to me to put it on the list. Yeah, yeah, it is quite a bit different. Yeah, I just never knew that, dude, because I definitely remember watching the video going, that's not Eddie Clark. That's still Phil Taylor, but that's not Eddie Clark. And then just going, oh, yeah, there was this kind of weird amorphous time where you're not in the two most consistent lineups, which is really saying something because one lineup was way more consistent than the other. So you had this weird kind of floating lineup thing going on. And the fact that it was a dude from Thin Lizzy, which I didn't know till recently, puts a lot of things into perspective. But yeah, man, if you haven't heard I Got Mine, check it out. I think it's an underrated cut. And back in the day when all you needed for a video was just them playing in some room. Which people still do today, but you know, the infant stages of music videos and whatnot. On that note, what is your number two? Mine is, I heard this one on that live album. There was a couple on that live album I really kind of latched onto. Dr. Rock was another one. For a long time, I kind of liked that song because of that live album. That was what they like opened up with. Um, But this was the one that they ended off with, and it's called Just Cause You Got the Power. But it's got this little Judas Priest style opening that and it's a slower song. It's a la the game. You know, it's it's got more of a uh, like a strut walking pace to it. Like you like you could walk out to a wrestling ring with this song. You know, mm-hmm. it's but it's like you bastard thinks it's funny, lying and li- thieving all your life. 
think all there is is money, got your future wrapped up tight. But just because you got the power, that don't mean you got the right. But it's just the way he says it. Just because you got the power, that don't mean you got the right. Like, it's so fucking cool, man. And it's, it is different for a song of theirs. So it seems like that's a recurring theme where it's like, hey, there has to be the most well-known. It's just like, that's the classic, or it has to be, this is something you don't expect from them typically, right? Well, this that's- one specifically is just like, I mean, I still prefer, it's weird. I just realized like three of my songs are off this album, rock oh. and roll. But I, this one was, I, I much prefer any live version of it. Okay. The, the, the live versions all have a different, like, a different, more like a... So it was released as a single. It's basically a B-side. And it just didn't have that kind of like that raunchy, that raunchiness to it. Right. It's not because it's slower. It's just, it was just uh, like the song that you just did. Uh, I got mine. Like, it was not the same kind of production. You know what I mean? Like, it was almost like it was a little more polished production mm-hmm. than normal. Which is still pretty, you know, fairly gritty for the, you know, because it's Motorhead, but. Yeah. But it does seem like there was, it was kind of like that. And so when you listen to the live one, I mean, it's like listening to, you know, Best of Both Worlds on 5150 and then listening to Best of Both Worlds live without a net. I mean, it's totally different. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's way raunchier fucking live. Like it just has a much grittier, meaner sound to it. And that's kind of how this one is. I believe i don't think they play it much faster it might speed up a little bit but the speed isn't the isn't the issue it's just uh nothing's really the issue i mean it's just a cool fucking song but yeah i mean when you have a band that sounds mostly the same on a lot of their stuff songs that they get out of the wheelhouse or songs that are different tend to stand out like quite a bit more no doubt about that right i don't necessarily think that that equates to it being a favorite or considered a better song but it definitely makes it a little probably more memorable yeah exactly you know because it is so much different than uh the regular thing that they do and i mean it's just like that's another thing it's just like i mean the lyrics are you know you can have me thrown in jail you can steal my booze you can even steal my mail step on my blue suede shoes you bastards Mm. might be clever got it mapped out in black and white but you remember you can never teach a dog to stand up right and just because you got the power that don't mean you got the right and i've always been a big thing you know just because you got the power it don't mean you got the right it's it's kind of a fuck you song yeah in a sense you know so and i mean you know, fuck especially <laughs> especially fucking 1988 me <laughs> you know 87 me 88 me you give me a fucking you give me a fuck you song that's that's life yeah you know that's all that is that's that's life to me i will love that song till the day i fucking die so yeah, I just noticed on this song, on this album, Rock and Roll, I guess these two songs weren't necessarily on it. I get I, Technically, they're not on it because one was a B-side just because you got the power and then the other one was Cradle to the Grave, which was actually on the soundtrack. So the album proper is just Rock and Roll through Boogeyman, nine songs. So, But I think uh, just for Spotify and deluxe editions and shit like that, they've, they've tied it in with this album, probably because they were written around the same time. Oh, um, let's see... Shit, we're number two for yes, you. We already talked about it. Ace oh, of Spades. Oh, it's the day. song. You know, like, what can we else can we say about it? It's classic, dude. I guess something else to tie into everything else I've been saying. When my awareness of things was growing, around the same time I was watching Loud on Much Music, VH1 had, I think it was called That Rock Show or something like that, or The Rock Show, probably more like it, actually. 
starring this dude, Kane something. Goofy guy. Anyways, they would interview Lemmy and whoever else was in Motorhead at the time. It was probably a solidified <laughs> lineup at that point. But they would also, again, catering to the VH1 demographic. I know you weren't I know you weren't a Simpsons guy, but they talk about when Homer steals cable in the episode where he steals cable. We got V8 or what is it? He we got MTV for the kids, and then he whispers to Marge, VH1 for us. You know, like there's a demographic <laughs> in mind. That's about what it was like, though. Yeah, yeah. So when they would cover the heavier bands, it would be your Black Sabbaths, even your the more metallic Led Zeppelins. But then Motorhead was in that conversation too. But they would show like actual what they would have shown. I don't even know if you can call them music videos at that point, but it's probably the closest thing you had back then. And one of the ones they had when they interviewed Motorhead was Ace of Spades, where it's just them again playing in a room. I don't know about the sunglasses at night thing. Maybe that was that was an innovation to come later, perhaps in the eighties. But <laughs> yeah, it was just them playing and just like watching. I, I'm picturing it in my head right now. And if you've seen the video, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, Watching yeah. Phil Taylor on the drums, dude. Just that motion, <laughs> dude. Like, he revolutionized where drums went in general, let alone heavy music or whatever you want to call it, dude. Like, just... And again, yeah, that speed. Again, the guitar sound from Eddie Clark, man. It was... I, I talk about it a lot. The complete package. Lemmy just being Lemmy being badass. Playing his bass. Again, we, we talk about the distorted bass at the beginning. That was a huge step in the evolution of oh, things dude. but the fact you know his whole thing was oh man i kind of want to watch this lemmy documentary again so one thing he does <laughs> is he gives a demonstration he's all yeah you know i'm a bass player but when most people play bass you think of any plays this kind of simplistic blues you know bass line he's all when i play bass it's and then he turns on the distortion and he's playing chords and he's you know i play bass more like a guitar player and that's partially on display here in a very big way well, it's funny because I remember people making such a big deal of Jason Newstead playing with a pick, and it's like, well, <laughs> not just Lemmy, but I mean, there's several people. Yeah, exactly. That have done that. There's even people back in the day that did it for certain songs to get a certain effect. So yeah. it's weird. I mean, he does little fucking licks like a guitar player, too. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny. Go ahead. I forgot what I was going to say. Shit. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, we talk about bands that sounded a lot like Motorhead. Did you ever hear Jason Newstead's Newstead solo project? I'm pretty sure I listened to it one time and that was enough. Yeah, it was just like, it was just basically him doing Motorhead, which was fun. Like, it was it was innocent enough. But like, yeah, dude, just the Motorhead tribute fully on display there. You can see where all that influence is coming in. Oh, yeah. But like, yeah, dude, like, you want to know what I think is the best part of the song, aside from the whole song itself? It's only like two something minutes, right? <laughs> yeah, it's not very long. But six solo. Gets the job done, does exactly what yeah. it needs to do. My favorite part of the song is the end with the epic, you know what I mean? And then the, oh yeah. Like a total complete package of a song. It's revered as much as it is for a reason. Damn well near perfect, man. Yeah, they fucking nailed it with that one, dude. Like perfect. Yeah, like what else is there to say except. What's Dude, your... Hey C. Dixie. Hey C. Dixie fucking does it with fucking banjos and it sounds good. Oh, okay. So that is one thing I was going to say. Have you ever heard the acoustic version? Yes. It's so sick, dude. Like, just further proof that that song works on its own in general. You know there's what I some mean? songs. Yeah, there's some songs that just, they just work all the way around no matter what. Yeah. Friggin' A, man. Just, that's a damn well near perfect song. So on that note, Speaking of our favorite songs, what's your number one? 
I'm really curious to hear what your number one. I thought for sure Ace of Spades was going to be your number one. Damn close. So mine is the first song I heard of theirs. Fucking. Like, eat the rich, dude. There you go. Come on, baby. Eat the rich. Take a bite of the son of a bitch. Oh, my God. And, dude, the fucking innuendo food references in this song are fucking idiotic, dude. Nice. It's... It's just... So did you almost... know there's a movie attached to this? Oh, yes, I did. Have you ever seen it? No, but I've seen parts of it, and I, they had, like, clips in the music video as well. Okay. Is it, does it look like it's worth watching at all? It's just like, I kind of... No, I, I mean, it might be a watch it, you know? Like, yeah. it might be a uh, seeing is believing kind of deal. Yeah, no, fair, fair, fair. But, dude, I'm a fucking... Ch- okay, check these lyrics out, man. They say music is the food of love. Let's see if you let's see if you're hungry enough. Take a bite, take another, just like a good boy would. Get a sweet thing on the side. Home cooking homicide. Side order could be your daughter finger licking good. <laughs> Come on, baby, eat the rich. Put the bite on the son of a bitch. Don't mess up. Don't give me no switch. Come on, baby, and eat the rich. Sitting down in a restaurant, tell the waiter just what you want. Is that the meat you wanted to eat? How would you ever know? Hash browns and bacon strips. I love the way that you lick your lips. No fooling. I can see you drooling. Feel the hunger grow. Oh, wow. I'll eat you, baby. You eat me. Eat two, baby. Get one free. Shetland pony. Extra pepperoni. Just pick up the phone. Like, who would do that? Eat Greek or eat Chinese. Eat salad or scarf up grease. You're on the shelf. You eat yourself. Come on and bite my bone. Good old-fashioned innuendo. You know Dude, what? it's but it's ridiculous innuendo, though. Like, I mean, it's like, I mean, it's it's insane. But it makes me laugh so fucking hard every time I hear it. That was probably considered, like, amongst the more raunchy things back in the day. And that oh, just yeah. seems so innocent yeah, now. Yeah, because that's, that's 87. And, I mean, I remember the video, you know, like, they're playing. There's people, like, rich-looking people eating at a restaurant. And they're, like, basically storming the restaurant and playing their instruments or whatever. Eventually getting up on the tables and whatnot. As one does. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's ridiculous. But, I mean, to me, this is, like, this is, like, what Motorhead is. Yeah, exactly. It's... They they very much personified themselves in the best way possible. You know what I mean? Well, when you really look at it from a life standpoint, dude, sex, drugs, and rock and roll is ridiculous. No, oh, absolutely. You know, it's completely ridiculous. So this, to me, just it, it just I don't know. It's always epitomized, you know, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and the ridiculousness of all of it. Mm-hmm. It's just mind blowing. I don't think I really paid much attention to the lyrics back in the day much, you know. But as as it went on, you know, you just kind of, you hear a song enough times, you listen to different things about it. You pick up what's going down. You know, I'm just like, oh my God, did he just fucking say Shetland Pony? You like pepperoni? to throw some interesting things in there. That's, you know. Like you just rhymed pepperoni with Shetland Pony. Like who the fuck does that? So next thing I know, I'm looking up lyrics and shit like that, you know, so. Fuck it. Yeah, first one, and it's been my favorite pretty much since, and I just realized that, technically speaking, three of my top five are all on <laughs> rock and, the album Rock and Roll from 1987, which is weird. It works. What's even weirder is only one of them's on the album proper. <laughs> You're number one, good sir. So this one's a little tricky, because I'm thinking, I'm sitting here thinking about it, I'm like, again, I talked about Metallica's actually what made me want to get into Motorhead. 
So it's Hold like that thought. I think someone just rang my doorbell. Hold yep, on. for sure. Never mind, is my Roomba that just decides that it's on a schedule that we did not set. Nice. Fucking creepy shit. Oh uh, yeah, Westworld. Anyway, Metallica, Motorhead. Yeah, so I'm thinking to myself, what is technically the first song I heard by Motorhead? Because technically, it's the Metallica version that I heard, but that's the Metallica version. So, was this the first? Motorhead song I actually heard by Motorhead doesn't matter. It's overkill. First song off the second nice. album. Yeah, man, it's epic. I that blew my mind the whole thing of hearing the Metallica version and then just like okay the song stops. Oh, they're playing it again. I thought it was sick. And it's just like oh, and the solo is different. It's just it's building epic grandiosity, dude. You know what I mean? So when I finally do hear the Motorhead version, and I'm like oh they did the thing. They did the thing where they stopped the song and they're playing it again. What I didn't know was it happens again after that. And it blew my mind. I was like, oh my God. To which then I go, well, why didn't Metallica do it the three times? I wonder. Maybe they were pressed for time. I don't know. But dude, just, yeah, if I'm, if I'm going to listen to Motorhead 99 times out of a hundred, it's probably this song. It's epic, dude. Finding out the story later on, you know, again, innovative for the time drummer, Phil Taylor, dude. The story Dude, about was, yeah the drums in that yeah. song like especially for what seventy nine something like that yeah finding out the story was like he wanted to do two bass drums but he didn't want it to just be for show like so many bands were doing at that time where it was all just okay we got it you know it's for display it's just but we're only playing the one so he wanted to do it right yeah where he did it where he starts out practicing so he's practicing his consistency this brand new thing at the time. The other dudes come into the room, see what he's doing, and he's just like, hey, just sorry, don't don't mind me, I'll stop. I was just practicing, and they're just going, no, keep it up. And that's how the song got written. Yeah, it's like, keep going. That's so sick. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's literal. Oh, yeah. It's one of those things that gets, you know, and I'm sure this might happen one day, but it's, it, that's the in the bio, the, I don't know if you pronounce it biopic or biopic. But when they're doing the Lemmy story or the Motorhead story, whatever you want to call it, that's something that's in the movie, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. It's he really did. I mean, all of them changed a lot of a lot of stuff for not changed. I mean, they just it's funny. A lot of people say like, oh, like you know, these guys fucking invented this or they. It's like, I mean, they were just doing what they were trying to do. Yeah, they probably didn't set out to fucking change music. I mean, there's some people that did do that, but for the most part, I think most people don't. They just a lot of times, man, they they would do stuff like, well, let's write something that we we can't readily listen to now. Right. Like, you know, I mean, we're all music fans. So it's like, well, you know, like we're able to, I'm like, I'm a good musician. You're a good musician. We're good musicians. But what are we lacking when we listen to music? Mm-hmm. Well, let's make that. Yeah. And see if, well, let's make that and let's see if we like it. You know, a lot of times they do. So, yeah. you know, and, and that's how that sort of thing happens. So, yeah, very fucking cool. Yeah, 1979. I mean, there's not a lot. Like like we said in the priest episode, like, like Starbreaker and shit like that and Dissident Aggressor. It's like, there's not a lot. I mean, this would be easily a top five heaviest songs from the 70s. Mm-hmm. Very you know much, I mean? yeah. Uh, yeah, with the, with the double kick. Like, it's just gnarly, dude. Yeah. And again, I feel like this is like a overkill walked so that Ace of Spades could run because again we got the double or you know the distorted bass in the beginning, get the epic oh, solo. Yeah. It's not as fast as Ace of Spades, but like they also weren't doing that. No, crazy people forget bass at the time. too, man. Like, 
you know, Maiden's first album didn't come out till 80. Mm-hmm. Not saying they weren't around this, but their album didn't come out till 80. And then people also forget, dude, that Nico McBrain wasn't the original drummer. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, well, when people say Nico changed drumming, they're not talking about those first, like, what, first two albums? Oh, man, I don't even know. First three albums. Is it? First three albums. Yeah, he's not on Number of the Beast. So that that's not Nico. Like, that's not Nico's stuff. And it's like, you can hear the difference in Maiden. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, you listen to Maiden's drums and the first stuff. And I mean, it's more like this style. Yeah, for sure. This, uh, when, you, when you're thinking of the, the faster drums, it's, it's more along the lines of this than probably when, uh, you know, other guys like Nico, you know, came around, you know, started really perfecting the kick drum, mm-hmm. you know, the kick drum work. So, yeah. And, you know, it's funny in that conversation talking about Maiden and, um, and Motorhead together, there was always, you know, we talk about the new wave of British heavy metal at the time and Motorhead gets thrown in there a lot. And I've heard arguments about, do they really belong in there because they were kind of the antecedent to when it finally became a thing? And I'm just like, that was kind of the whole point about the new wave of British heavy metal from what I read is just lumping it all together. The, like, From what I understand, the idea behind the new wave of British heavy metal is that was just everything that wasn't punk, which was blowing up in yep. a huge way at the time, you know? And there's very few of those bands that really did much of anything with any longevity. Yeah, no, for sure. So I say, fuck it. Yeah, I'm, I, I could go either way. I'm. It's like kind of the same deal as like Priest gets tossed in there as well, but like they were... They were old heavy metal, you know what I mean? They were getting started. Like when they talk about Priest in that same way, it's more so the resurgence they had an interest from new wave of British heavy or heavy metal becoming a thing, you know? Like, but like it's all on the same conversation, man. It's all good. I'm I'm for yeah, it. Yeah, man. Why Priest not? is around fucking Black Sabbath early, like early Black Sabbath days. Yeah, they Sabbath had like one year on them, if anything, and that's why. Maiden's considered the longest running heavy metal band of all time now is because fucking Sabbath quit. You know, at a certain point, Priest kept yeah, going. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because that's another thing. People, you know, you'll forget that Black Sabbath is mostly a 70s band. Yeah. The classic shit, you know. it's, it's I mean, that's all 70s. It's not 60s, mm-hmm. dude. Yeah. You know, it's that 70s shit, you know. Yeah. We want to go through the top 10, Sympathy for the Devil. Well, first one is In the Name of Tragedy at 6 million plays. 6.7 million. Which one's that off of? That's the problem with having 22 studio albums, let alone everything else. Inferno. Okay. I remember that one around the but time. Actually, I mean, the lowest one is Hellraiser, but it's it's showing the cover art from Ozzy Osbourne, so that's weird. I wonder if that got included as, like, a bonus track or something. So, yeah. But, I mean, that's at, like, 3 million. Then you have In the Name of Tragedy at 6.7 million. And then at 11 million, you have Love Me Forever, which I... Do not like that song. Mm. But it's more of a power ballady kind of song. Has a power ballady kind of name. Yeah, it just doesn't really work for me. Um, so a few covers in here. Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones. It's at 15 million plays. And then Heroes by David Bowie is 17 million plays. I wonder how many people have listened to that because, I mean, it's totally a different thing, but... The first time I noticed this song being on Spotify, I was actually trying to find the Wallflowers version, mm. and it's not on Spotify. So, Which I thought that was a Wallflower song for the longest time. 
Oh, I, really? Yeah. Again, mm. I, how was I supposed to know at the time? And when I finally heard yeah. the David Bowie one, I was like, oh. And now it's a righteous it's, cover, dude. Like, I guess I'll have to check out that EP, man, or compilation, whatever you call it. And you know what's really gnarly thinking about that now is Motorhead cover and David Bowie was they both passed away with that within, I think, days of each other or something like that, yeah. at least a week. So. And, uh, yeah, I mean, not so righteous of a cover for Motorhead, but I wish they would have Motorheaded it up a little bit. I could see They that. do it more like the Wallflowers did. Huh. Uh, see, next would be God Was Never On Your Side. And this is a, it's a bit of a ballady one. It's got a little bit of acoustic guitar, a little bit of synthesizer. I think it's one of the newer ones. Let me look at the album. Yeah, Kiss of Death from 2006. That's at 18 million plays. Hmm. Then you hit the big boys. So you got Killed by Death. Hmm. Right on. 28.4 million plays. Then you have Overkill with 49.9 million plays. Almost at 50 now. 49.983. Nice. And then <laughs> the game, Triple H, 55 million. Point f- 55.55 million plays. Jeez. So it's their second played, most played song. I'm telling you, dude, it's a big deal. Mm. So like, there's a lot of wrestling fans. Yeah, for sure. And then by far, as if anybody needed a fucking guess on it, Ace of Spades, man, 297,872,192 plays. Proof's in the pudding. Fucking dude. Yeah. Wild. Insane. Like, like I said, I fuck with him about being a one-hit wonder. Yeah, <laughs> I'll always fair. fuck with him about being a one-hit wonder. But that's just me liking to have a little fun. Yeah, for sure. Well, fucking, is Ace of Spades your favorite? If not, what is? I mean, chances are it's their favorite, right? True, true, true. <laughs> I know, I'm just asking. Chances are if you're listening to this, it's your favorite. Yeah, either way, let us know. Hit us up at Metalist Pod on Twitter. Metalist Podcast everywhere else. Tell your friends... Get involved in the conversation. We love talking to you. Like, rate, review, subscribe, follow, all of the above. We'd love to hear from you. Come talk to us. Thanks again, as always, for joining us. And until next time, eat your veggies. Fuck your prayers. That's right. Bye, folks. Later. Later.